The AOP is brought to you today by GG Poker, the world's leading online poker room. What makes them the leading player? Well, they have more players than any other site. In fact, GG Poker holds the Guinness World Record for the largest prize pool for an online poker tournament since September 2020. They put fun at the heart of it in every game and have unique features that you can't find on any other site. They offer games for all skill levels, whether you're new to poker or a seasoned pro with popular games like Texas Hold'em and Omaha to unique games like All In or Fold and Spin and Gold. So what's in it for you? New players that make a £10 deposit get £60 in free play. That is a £10 deposit to get £60 in free play. So go visit ggpoker.co.uk. New UK players only. Minimum deposit £10. Full T&Cs apply. BeGambleAware.org. Please play responsibly. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. If you love to be remembered as the person who gives the best birthday gifts, I'm here to tell you that 1-800-Flowers.com is your ultimate birthday gifting destination. 1-800-Flowers has thoughtful and artfully created options that are guaranteed to deliver the best birthday surprise. Shop thousands of unique gifts at 1-800-Flowers.com for exclusive offers and great values. To order today, visit 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Mirror man, mirror man, you twist and turn my mind until I don't know who I am. Mirror man. Welcome to uh, a, a cup special edition of the AO podcast. I'm here with Matt. Hi, Pete. Um, and we're not here with Curtis this week. We're, we've, we've moved him on because we've got a very special guest. Um, we have Alan Smith. Welcome to the show, Alan. Thank you. Nice to be here. Um, so let's uh, let's get a bit of like history under the belt um, before we crack in. Um, like I, I've been doing a, a piece about um, Burkamp and Henri recently, and um, like going back and writing about their impact on the club. And then I was doing a bit of research on on your career, and it's interesting uh, the parallels that you have with uh, Dennis Burkamp from an impact perspective. Mm. So, uh, like when when you arrived at the club, we hadn't won uh, a league title uh, in, in in a long time, um, and there was a bit of the the, the sort of dull Arsenal of the of the seventies uh, and eighties about us. And then you came yeah. in, made a like a, a very quick impact uh, at the club. Um, you won the Golden Boot uh, twice, I believe. Yes, yes. Um, two two league titles, uh, re-established. Arsenal as a, a force and then um, later on in your career you helped uh, 
bring through uh, young players like Ian Wright and Kevin Campbell and became more of a, a support. And you had impact right up until the end when you um, helped Arsenal win an unlikely Cup Winners' Cup final in Copenhagen. So uh, that's just to set the tone for, uh, for the younger um, listeners. Um, I wanted to get your take on how you perceived yourself as a player. Well, first of all, it's lovely to be mentioned in the same sentence as Dennis Bergkamp. It doesn't happen too often, <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> uh, and I'm not sure, you know, I was quite as influential as, as Dennis was. But um, no, I mean, I always think with, with a footballer, sometimes it, luck plays a big part. And, and I was fortunate to join Arsenal at a time when they were just on the cusp of big things and I think that was the main reason that I joined them. I, I had a chance to to join Manchester United. Uh, Alex Ferguson rang me one one night, but I'd already kind of given my word to, to Arsenal that um, I, I wanted to join them at the end. Uh, it, well, I was going to sign in, in the March um, before the end of the season. There was just something about the club, I think. I'd watched the boys on the telly. You know, they're obviously the young lads coming through, Rocky and, and Mickey and... Um, Tony Adams and all the rest uh, and there just seemed this kind of feel-good exciting factor about the club and George was clearly a manager going places he just had this charisma this authority you could tell that by looking at him on on the TV and um, yeah I I took a punt uh, because as you said earlier um, Arsenal hadn't been successful really hadn't challenged at the top for quite some time Um, and I remember when I was a Leicester player travelling down there and going down the Holloway Road on the coach, you know, it was all a little bit scruffy and that. And I thought, oh, I never want to play down here. <laughs> uh, so it was funny then, a few years later, that um, that it all happened and uh, I couldn't have made a better decision, really. Is that an advantage, do you think, when a club hasn't been successful for a period of time? Is that something that a player looks at and goes, you know what, I could make a real impact here? It's almost better than someone who's been you know, winning a lot of stuff. Is that, is that a, a, a sort of part of the decision-making process, do you think, where you can really make a difference? I, no, I don't think so. I don't know whether managers might feel that more than players. I think for players, I mean, first and foremost, you look at the contract, you know, are they going to pay you what you feel you, you deserve in comparison to what other clubs might be willing to offer? Um, but it's 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 that chance at, at winning silverware, whether the club have already won some. I mean, you know, that's not going to put you off. If, if you're joining a club that's just won the title three years on the trot, you're going to be desperate to join them because it's a successful side. But um, with Arsenal, it was just a bit of a gut instinct. I thought, I mean, obviously a famous old club. I knew all about their history and, and what have you. Um, and, and I felt it was an honour to join them, to be honest, particularly having been shown around the place and you just get a sense of that that history. Uh it was an institution in this country and, and it did feel like an honour to join them. So how would you describe your, uh, your, your game? What were your key attributes um, that you brought, uh, like especially the, the early George Graham teams? Well, um, I, am a, I was a, tr- a traditional target man, orthodox, really, uh, in the sense of playing with my back to goal, uh, linking up the play, showing for the ball, holding it up, uh, and I think that's why I, you know, clicked with Gary Lineker quite quickly and and clicked well uh, at Leicester. Um, and uh, this is what George clearly felt that the team needed. 
um, somebody good in the air. Uh, he was always good in the air as a player, so he would look at that attribute, I think. Um, but yeah, somebody that could link the play, I think. Somebody that would be reliable, consistent. I'm leading up to my uh, signing for Arsenal, I didn't get many injuries at all at Leicester. I pretty much played every season. Uh, and I think that's something else that managers look at. You know, can you count on him? Is he going to be there week in, week out? Um, but yeah, yeah, that target man type figure that you don't see so many of these days. It's strange, isn't it? Because we're sort of seeing, uh, we certainly don't see many at Arsenal. Um, and, but you, you, you've seen Mourinho go in for sort of a Benteke type and Conte seems to have a, he seems to like a big target man as well. Is is it is it coming back? Do you think just based on some of the trends we're seeing with some of the top teams at the moment, or uh, what, what do you think that's about? I mean, fashions always go in cycles, don't they? Yeah. And uh, for for quite a long time in the Premier League, it's been about the the smaller, mobile, quick striker. But you know. It's, there's an argument to say a big, a good big man's always better than a good little man. But <laughs> yeah. listen, I mean, if you're, if you're, I think it, it boils down to whether you're a good player or not, whether you're a target man or, or whether you're a poacher, whatever. And if you've got um, somebody of a decent size that can can get about the pitch, score goals, and he's unselfish in, in his link-up play, I mean, any manager's going to want that sort of player in his squad. So let's get on to some uh, some cup football. Um, wanted to ask you what you think is special uh, about cup football in particular. Um, boss, I suppose the the one-off nature of it. You know, uh, I'm from the generation growing up where the FA Cup was was always special, a, a magical day, particularly the third round. Uh, and, it, and it still holds that allure. I, I still love it when third round day comes comes around. But um, it obviously has lost a little bit of its its luster. But yeah, it's that that fact that the little team can beat the big team over the course of ninety minutes, as we saw with Wigan and Manchester City the other night. Um, it just goes to show that that will never die. I don't think the David and Goliath type uh, scenario. So. Um, I think that's what fans love, the unpredictability about it. Similar to um, to what happened with um, the George Graham era of Arsenal, what we're seeing now is that uh, Arsenal have sort of metamorphosized from a team that could challenge for league titles to a, you know, an outstanding cup team. Mm. Why do you think that happens? You know, do you think it's it's you can't? Is it about sustaining the performances over a longer period of time, but the players can do it on 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 the day, or or how, how does that change happen from turning from a from a team that can challenge for the league to still being able to beat anyone on its day? Yeah, and it is true that the similarities between you know us in the mid nineties to to Arsenal now. Different reasons for that, though. I think. I mean, under George Graham, we. We lost a bit of quality. The signings were no longer of the standard they should have been. Um, and we weren't creating and scoring as many goals. But we still had that back four and David Seaman. And so if we nick a goal, and that was normally Ian Wright, chances were we were going to win. 
uh, and you know we could defend a lead uh, until we were blue in the face. That obviously isn't the case now, but you know three three FA Cups in four seasons is um, nothing at all to be sniffed at. And yeah, I, I think maybe the boys have got themselves up for these one-off occasions. And Arsenal have always had very very good players, lots of talent in the team. There's no doubt about that. And that talent has come to the fore when it's mattered, and they've. They produce some, what you might say, out-of-character performances to to win some of these cups. You know, you think of the, the final against Chelsea last season and, and the semi against Man City when they really dug in and competed, played with a lot of intensity. Um, and that's what's earned them the silverware. But as a manager, you never want to be known as a, as a cup side. You want to have that kind of longevity in a season to be able to challenge at the top. Do you think Arsene Wenger thinks that Arsenal are a cup team now or do you think he still thinks that they're good enough to be a, a, a league championship winning team, deep down? Well, deep down, he can't think that. <laughs> I mean, that's so far off. So far off, it's untrue. I mean, he's only got to look at the table, but uh, he'd like to think that they could challenge at the start of the season. Maybe he's full of optimism and then couple of months down the line he would realize that it's not going to happen again and in, um, and in the years that, that that you know that amazing uh domestic cup double and the cup winners cup double at the beginning of the season were you would you already think that that was your best chance of silverware like would you were you sort of really gearing up when the fa cup third round came in and goes right okay oh, this is our real season starting or or would you still think that you could, you know, if the results went the right way at the beginning of the season, you could challenge for the league? Yeah, I think at the beginning of the season, you're not going to write yourself off and you are full of optimism and hope. And, you know, if you've had a good pre-season, the team scoring goals, keeping clean sheets, you think, well, maybe this year we can do better than last. Uh, but as I say, after a few months, as things pan out, you, you find your level and, get around to January and you know you're not going to win the title and that's when you think okay let's have a good go in the FA Cup and, and if you're still in the, the cup winners whatever you're you're thinking that's your best path to success that season but for me it was all it was always a disappointment because we'd obviously been league title winners twice and um, you want to maintain those high standards and then to be regarded as a cup team it's it's almost a bit of an insult you know in comparison so what what was your greatest domestic cup memory? Um, it was funny because, as I said, FA Cup was always special growing up, and I always thought, "Whoa, I'd love to win the FA Cup as a player," and and I won it, uh, but it didn't quite happen how we thought it would, how I thought it would. It was on a wet Thursday night at Wembley, you know, the replay against Sheffield Wednesday. And, and I didn't have the best of games. I was so disappointed in my game that night. I should have scored. I set up Ian Wright's first goal, but uh, I made some mistakes. The gaffer was giving me some fearful stick during the match. <laughs> um, and I wasn't enjoying it. So I've gone up to pick up my, my medal and we've lifted the trophy. And it didn't feel as special as I, I always thought it would do. Um, I mean, that's obviously the pinnacle. I lost the League Cup final to, to Luton. Uh, I won a League Cup final in 93, but I didn't start that game against Sheffield Wednesday, so that doesn't mean much at all. Uh, came on as a sud, but um, yeah, the FA Cup final, I mean, you look at the medal and it's great, but it's just the circumstances of it. You always think of, of your part in it, how you played, and that kind of colours your memories of it a little bit. 
So you're talking about the prestige of the FA Cup and that maybe it's declined over the years. Um, what about the League Cup? What, what did the League Cup mean to, to you guys when you were playing? Because now it's... It, I, I, a lot of big managers win it as like you know, especially Mourinho. He loves to win the League Cup as his first trophy, just to get it out of the way. What did the League Cup mean to 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 your generation um, when you used to start in the third round early in the season? It was it was a big competition, yeah. Um, if you're not in Europe, it, it, it's just one of three trophies you could win, and it, you know if you weren't one of the top teams, one of two with the FA Cup. So. It was always a big trophy, um, and uh, we had some success early on. And, and one of my greatest, I think, my greatest League Cup memory was the semi-final against Everton in um, eighty-eight, wasn't it? Um, and when there were fifty-four thousand at Highbury, there were about seven thousand locked out that night. I never forget it, and the noise was deafening inside the ground. And it was such a great match. We missed a few chances. I remember Rocky missed an open goal from the edge of the box, but uh, we ended up winning it and um, hanging out of the dressing room windows, uh, waving at the fans in Avonall Road. And it was just a magical, magical night that was. I never forget that. Um, and then we, we knew we were at Wembley, and that and that always meant a lot. So. We want to um, move on to uh, the Cup Winners' Cup section. We'd love to talk to you about that. Um, so just uh, I, I watched the the sort of Arsenal fan TV thing of the past um, in the build-up to this. And um, before you guys played Odensa, um, George Graham said, uh, a lot of people are talking about passing football. You can pass and pass and pass, but if there are no balls into the box, there will be no end product. Um, and he also said that uh, he, he wasn't going to play the continental style of, of football. So w- when George Graham started, you did play quite an exciting brand of football, and then he, he shifted to a, a more route one approach. Was, um, was, that, was that geared off of anything specifically? Or is that just he? That's that's how he saw the the chances of success moving forward. What was yeah, that? I mean, funnily enough, he says that. But we got knocked out of the European Cup in '91 by Benfica at Highbury. Um, yeah, it was Benfica, wasn't it? Yeah, we'd beaten Austria Vienna in the first uh, round. Um, went over to to Portugal, drew one one, but they came to our place and they kind of it was a real sucker punch. Uh, and George, after that, uh, I think he made up his mind. He felt we were too open that night. Um, and that's when he switched to 4-3-3 for European games. So he was more of a kind of a continental formation that he adopted, even though he says we wouldn't take that um, continental approach. Uh, he wanted to be stronger in midfield. And the, whether it was Ian Wright, Kev Campbell, Paul Merson on the flanks and me through the middle, those wide boys would always be funneling back to make it a five-man midfield and and just make us harder to beat. And and that's where we gained the success, I think, in Europe. That's why we got to the Cup Winners' Cup final. Um, it was a shift in tactics. On a Saturday, we'd play the 4-4-2, but then come Monday morning, we'd be doing shadow up at London Colney just perfecting the system for the Wednesday. Um, 
and it and it worked. It worked. You know, we had we had to adjust our games a little bit. I was through the middle on my own. Didn't have a didn't have a partner, and it was, it could be quite hard work against two good centre halves. But um, you know, I think in terms of our compactness, our solidity, we we were a better team for it in Europe. So you played. You, you made eight appearances uh, in the run-in to to the final. Uh, and going back through the videos, some of the so we um, uh, Odensa maybe not, uh, and Standard Liège not two of the strongest teams. But then you moved into uh, to play Torino in uh, the Juventus Stadium uh, at the time in, in front of a huge crowd. Um, PSG had George Ware playing in the first leg and uh, and David Ginola when um, he was in his prime. Like, what wh- what were the most memorable games that um, that you played? Because from my understanding and what George Graham was saying, you were being written off at every phase. Like, so backs against the wall. Like, which mm. were the games that you enjoyed the most? Um, I mean, Torino away. Um, I didn't realise it was a big crowd. Actually, it was that cavernous old. Uh, Stadium that Juventus couldn't wait to get out of, and Torino, I'm sure. Um, and it was a dull nil-nil on a rainy night. Uh, a game, a few chances, a real struggle. Uh, beat them one nil, I think, back at our place. Uh, but um, the semi-final, I think, stands out against against PSG. And as you say, David Ginola, I mean, he was in his pomp back then, and I, I never forget the lads giving him stick, the likes of Boldy and Tony. Giving Ginola stick, um, we were one nil up. Right, he'd got a header, uh, and then Ginola got a glancing header at the near post from a corner, and he wheeled away to celebrate. And then he remembered that Baldi and, and Tony had been giving him stick, so he turned back and gave them a bit back. Um, <laughs> but that that was a real that was a real scrap, and and uh, to come out of that uh, at one one, we thought we've got a great chance. Um, against what was a really good uh, PSG side, so um, the uh, the home leg uh, was different. Um, Kev Kev Campbell got earlyish goal, didn't he? And um, then, as I said earlier, you'd always fancy us with our defence. We rode our luck a little bit. They missed some chances. Right, he got himself booked and suspended for the final. So he was in tears at half time. We had to settle him down, but he, he came out for the second half momentous display really for the team selfless one uh, as upset as he was uh, but yeah that semi over two legs that that and that's when I think one nil to the Arsenal started didn't it the chant I think it, at half time in Paris yeah Paris uh, Paris Saint-Germain the Paris. System. yeah they, they played the pet shop boys so uh, that was where that started uh, so um, of course you, you get through that and um, you're waiting to see who you've got um, you're right though we were we were second favourites in in those games towards the end and certainly we were in the final. And, and what did you feel when Ian picked up that yellow and you knew that a lot of responsibility was going to be on your shoulders? How did you, th- th- what was the feeling? What, on the day of the final? Or no, no, no. Like, like when it happened, you saw it in the match and you knew that that was going to, like, obviously you feel sad for the player, but were you? did you immediately think, wow, this is... You know, got to stay fit. This is going to be uh, this is going to be a big chance to to make something happen. Or do you do you not no, consider it? No, don't think like that. Really, you feel for him because you could see how much it meant to him and how much he wanted to play in the final. That's why he joined Arsenal. But no, you, you don't think that way. Uh, I'd obviously played a lot of years without him. 
Um, so you just want to make sure the team does get to the final. And then we'll, you know, cross that bridge when we come to it in uh, Copenhagen. But, of course, we had um, a few injuries as well as uh, as Wrighty being suspended. Uh, John Jensen done his Achilles and Martin Keown failed a, a fitness test on the day. Uh, so we were far from full strength. David Seaman had a rib injury, had to have jabs in his ribs beforehand and at half-time. So uh, it was a real backs-against-the-wall performance, that. Yeah, and you so heading into the final, you played eight games, scored sixteen goals and five clean sheets. Not bad for boring, boring Arsenal. Um, and then the the Palmer lineup. Even now, you look at it like uh, Aspria uh, in his first season at Palmer, Brolin when he was incredible, Zola, Sensini, Cripper. Uh, like that was a that's still quite the spectacular lineup. Um, how did how did you guys feel looking at that? Did was there no fear? You just knew that you had a rock solid uh, defense and you needed to nick one. What was the vibe? Um, I think the vibe was we're going to do well to get anything out of this match. <laughs> I remember the night before the match, uh, you train on the pitch and we were first to train. Uh, I think they toss up who who goes out there first for. 45 minutes, have a little limber up, get a feel of the surface. And uh, we went out first. And as we were coming back, walking down the tunnel, the Palmer players were walking out and looking pristine in their immaculate tracksuits, as only Italians can look. Uh, and they kind of gave us a look up and down as if to say, who's this mob we're playing tomorrow? You know, and we, we got the, <laughs> the hump about that. Um, that fired us up. Um, but um, we knew we knew all about them. We'd done our homework, done our video analysis, um, which used to bore us to death watching the videos. But you'd sit through it. Um, but uh, yeah, we did think, wow, uh, we will do well to to beat this side. That their coach uh, was really well respected in Europe at the time. Um, but I, you know, I'll go back to that. The, the thing about the defence, with, with that back four stroke back five, you always felt we, we had a chance. Uh, it was just a matter of, of scoring a goal. So the chance did come, a defensive error, that ball flies up. And it, looking looking back at that, that was a, an outrageous attempt. Like, did, did you just did you just feel in that moment, like, this is going in? Was it a, a pot chance? Like, how, how do you feel as a striker? Like, what's the confidence level at hitting, hitting a ball like that with your, with your left foot? Yeah, I mean, the situation makes up your mind for you, really. Uh, as, as you said, the lad um, tried an overhead kick that landed, well, didn't land, but, you know, on my ch- I chested it down. Uh, and then with players converging, it, it's bounced up and you think, well, I've got to hit this early. So you you have a little skip up and, and hit it quite high. So it's not like you're thinking, shall I hit it or shall I do something else with it? I didn't really have much choice. And I just let one go with my left foot. And um, I didn't see that it had gone in until the keeper, he, he dived in front of it, as it were. And then I'd seen that the ball was nestling in the other corner and it had, come off the inside of the post. Um, but I was always really comfortable with my left foot. Quite a lot of people thought I was left-footed. Um, but uh, I'd got to a stage where, you know, I could shoot with either similar, I was just as comfortable, really. But, it, yeah, it was good volley, came off the laces. Um, I thought it had a chance when I, when I struck it. 
So to see it in the net, yeah, absolutely delighted. And you talked about how uh, when we won the FA Cup, you weren't happy with your performance and it, and, it, and it didn't feel as special for you. This must have felt completely different, I imagine. Yeah, it did. Um, because I'd, I'd played well as well. As, apart from my goal, uh, I'd done everything I wanted to do as a centre forward. I'd held it up, battled with my my markers and uh, enabled us to get up the pitch a little bit. Um, worked really hard. Um, so pleased that on, on, the, on the big night, I had been able to put in a good performance because I, I wasn't in a great place confidence-wise over the course of those couple of seasons because I wasn't scoring goals in the league. Um, so to, to lift it, um, step up to the plate for the final was really, really satisfying, yeah. So heading into um, the weekend, uh, we've got a, a game at Ustersons, uh coming up uh, this Thursday, but then all focus will be on the cup final. What do what's uh, what's going through um, the the players' heads? Are they are they worrying about the the, the game on Thursday, or are they uh, like are they are they fully focused on um, on the cup final? Like what, what? How do you prepare for a cup final? <laughs> yeah, I mean, given the first leg result, I think most of the lads that are going to play Sunday aren't going to be playing Thursday. Um, there's a nice little bit of uh, distance between the two teams so uh, it, it's a perfect situation for Arsene Wenger um, he can pretty much put out a, a second string side knowing it's going to be good enough um, and coming into a cup final you're always hoping you're going to be selected the majority of the lads will know they're going to play I think you know barring any injuries because you can pretty much predict Arsene Wenger's teams apart from perhaps one player sometimes um, so they're just really mindful of keeping fit and um, wanting to be sharp on the day wanting to give a good account of themselves I think first and foremost that's what you want to do, you don't want to freeze on the big stage, you want to play well uh, and then of course secondly you want the team to win And, and, um, and how equipped do you think the club are to deal with, uh, with Manchester City at Wembley for the second season running this uh, this Sunday? Yeah, I mean, you know, it wasn't bad last season, was it? Uh, City are a different proposition now. Um, much stronger, more confident. Um, and, of course, the the midweek defeat to uh, to Wigan would would maybe spur them on if they needed any spurring um, to, to make sure they don't lose two on the trot. Um, so... I mean, listen, they are fallible, like, like any other team. That, that's been proven a couple of times. Um, and, and for Arsenal to have beaten them last season, it will give them confidence. Um, you know, we go back to that thing about the Cup being one-off occasions. And uh, if a team isn't quite at it and the other team is, then, you know, they're going to win that team that's in form. And, and Arsenal will be hoping that they can reach the levels that they have at times this season. You know, you think of the North London derby at home when they were excellent and and one or two other uh, matches. Where, Chelsea's second um, leg in the League Cup was a, a yeah. dogged performance. Yeah, when they've really... They know, they've gone out there knowing what they want to do with and importantly without the ball, which, as we know, has not always been the case. Usually isn't the case. Normally, uh, 
it, it, it's it's far too open. But um, on those occasions where they've looked organised, um, they, they, yeah, they can beat anybody with the players they've got. Why is it, do you think, that sometimes, and I'm thinking back specifically to the cup final last year, that just within the first two or three minutes, you can tell the focus is right, that the mm. work off the ball is right, and other times you can tell immediately that it that that it's not, and that side of the game is missing. Why is there that glaring difference from one game to the next, and and you never know quite when it's going to happen or when it's not going to happen? Is that where's that stemming from? Do you think? Well, it, the buck stops with the manager. I mean, Arsenal. Any team can go into a match and start slowly and not be able to pick it up. You know, that can happen to any side. Players are only human. Um, but for Arsenal, that lack of focus in the first five or ten minutes has happened just far too often. And Arsene Wenger will say afterwards, we weren't focused, we weren't ready. And you think, well, why weren't you focused? Why, why weren't you ready? This is a massive game. And it's up to him to make sure that they are. Um, so that is a, a big flaw in the team's character. Um, the what? fact that sometimes they're just not at it. And until they can get that right, they'll always be an up-and-down team. For the, uh, the the context of the audience, how would George Graham ensure that you were focused for a big game? What what sort of what, what's the methodology that goes it to, to making sure that like group of young men are like on it and concentrated? Yeah, I mean, for a big game, it's not normally a problem um, because you all want to do well in the big games. And well, that's always the message. It's a cliche, but come on, lads, first 10 minutes, let's do things right. Everybody's first touch, first pass. Make sure it's nice, neat and tidy and you get off on the right foot. If you if you get off to a bad start, it can be difficult sometimes to pick it up. So that's always one of the last shouts in a dressing room. Let's start well, boys. And, and that's what George Graham would always say. Sometimes if we hadn't started well, we've got that organisation to fall back on and to gradually work our way into a game uh, because we had a system uh, and we'd work hard without the ball and, uh, and we'd fight our way back in. Um, and that, that's what happened. And do you think Arsene Wenger, to when we were invincibles and having winning league championships, he was more on top of the focus side of the of, of coaching, and it's and it's sort of waned over time. Or do you think it was just he had such a incredible collection of players and he had uh, the incredible leaders that he'd inherited that he didn't have to do it, and it's only now when he doesn't have those players that some of the shortcomings are being seen in that area. Yeah, listen, you can never underestimate his influence on those earlier teams because he was instrumental. But you're right. I mean, it was the latter. It was the fact that he assembled a group of top-class players with with first-class attitudes who could police themselves on the pitch, who had that maturity and that desire to, to bang heads together if things weren't going right. Somebody was not giving it what they should. Um, and of course, uh, those players aren't in the team anymore. Uh, we've been going on about this for 10 years, but, um, when that isn't the case, when you haven't got that player, those kind of players, that's when you do need your, your manager to, um, to, to organize. And I, th- I think modern day players do need instruction from the sidelines more than they used to when things are going wrong in a match, they will look across now. Uh, to uh, to get instructions as to what they should do rather than the captain and 
some of the senior players just working it out for themselves on the pitch. But, you know, with Arsenal, the contrast has been stark between the Invincibles and Vieira and, uh, and obviously Henri and Bergkamp, all those names, with how it is, how it has been for, for a while now. And, and that's so frustrating. Do you think a League Cup win will be enough to save Wenger's season? Um, I mean, it depends where they finish in the league, doesn't it? Um, if, if if the boys attain a top four place and win the League Cup, that's not bad at all, given uh, you know where they've been at times in the table. But um, I think they're going to have the work cut out to finish in that top four, unfortunately. Um, and if they win the League Cup, it isn't to be sniffed at. You say save the season. That There's going to be plenty of big teams that are going to come away with nothing this year. So you still can't underestimate the value of winning something. Um, but Arsenal fans who have been used to seeing them challenging at the top are still not going to be happy. You know, if Arsenal finish sixth, they're still not going to be happy, are they? Because this isn't where a club of that stature and history should be. Um but, you know, it, it's compensation, you might say. It's a hard point, isn't it? Because I, I know Arsene Wenger has made a point of saying, you know, look at Klopp and Pochettino and they get a free ride a lot of the time and they haven't won anything uh, in English football. Um, and do you think that's fair or unfair? Do you think that uh, he does get an unfair ride? Well, I think he, he. I think he has got a point. It must be quite infuriating for him to to see us all hailing Pochettino as, as one of the great modern coaches and, and Jurgen Klopp as well, and when there isn't any silverware on the table. So you could see why he'd, he'd get the hump with that, having received so much stick over the last few years. Um, but uh, yeah, that, I mean that, that's the way it is. He set very high standards and. And Arsenal have set those standards and this is a club with a 60,000 capacity and the promise was that it would enable the club to, to compete at the very top and a lot of fans are wondering where those promises have got to uh, and that's where the frustration lies and it's been simmering, you know better than me for supporters, it's been simmering over a number of years hasn't it and getting towards boiling point now that the, the team's inability to, to compete with the with the top boys and when you factor in Leicester City winning the title, it, it makes it that little bit worse, doesn't it? Because yeah. it's not about money then. And I think one of the things that people say about Pochettino, for instance, is he's getting more out of this squad than, uh, you know, they're, they're worth more than the sum of their parts to an extent. And, and do you think we're, because sometimes it's, are we, are we over or underperforming? Because sometimes you need to take a step back and say, actually, maybe... Maybe given the amount that Manchester City spend and that Manchester United spend, maybe you know, maybe we're just performing exactly where we should be. What's your sort of perspective on that? Well, I, I mean, I do think Pochettino does. He's, he's got you know, he's, he fields eleven very good players, but the team does come to more than some of its parts. I think because it's it's within a structure and everybody works for each other. They they do look a proper team. Yeah. Uh, in the way that Arsenal used to, and that's what makes them. That's what why they're higher in the table. Not not by a massive distance, though, are they? Um, but um, I don't know. You, we, yeah, we can talk about the money, and of course, City uh, and United and Chelsea before them have spent more. 
Um, and I'm not going to divide Arsenal for, for doing business within their means and, and not overspending. But I, I maintain that with some of the teams that Arsenal has had over the last few years, more organisation would have made them stronger um, stronger outfits. I, I mean, it goes without saying, if you're better organised, good players will be better. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I think that's been a weakness. You look at that 2000, 2018 or even the 2011 team, and that, like, that 2018 definitely should have won some silverware. And I think the 2011 team with um, Sesk, Nasri, Robin Van Persie, um, like a whole slew of like names now that when you look at over their careers, you look back on, you think that 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 should have been, it should have been a, the Project Youth should have been a golden era of, of trophies, but sadly it wasn't. Um, so onto the, the the squad that we have now, particularly the strikers. Um, there's been a lot of churn. Um, we've seen um, Theo move to Everton, Giroud move to Chelsea. Uh, um, we've brought in Aubameyang, uh, Lacazette uh, is still in the mix. Like, how, how would you how would you assess our striking options at the moment? Well, I don't know about you, but I just find it so upsetting in a way to see Olivier Giroud scoring a goal for Chelsea in the, in the blue of Chelsea. I know he was he was a substitute for the latter part of his of his time at Arsenal, but um, to let a player of his ability go. I'm, it's almost a mistake, but they're hoping that Lacazette and Aubameyang between them are going to provide the answer. Now, Lacazette, I think, has disappointed them there, and maybe they—he's not the player they thought he was when he was scoring goals in France. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him in the summer. So I don't think he wants to be a bit part player, uh, a support act to, to Aubameyang, who I think will score goals. He, you know, he was so unlucky against Spurs, wasn't he, to be flagged offside. Uh, he's, he's a clinical finisher um, and as long as his teammates can give him support um, I think he'll in a season in a full season he'll, he'll get 25 got 25 goals no problem um, so Mkhitaryan's a bit of a question mark for me I know it's very early days but I mean he was so poor against Spurs and had an horrible game didn't he yeah he did he did uh, I don't know I don't know him as a character but um it obviously didn't happen at United, uh, but he still does look like the kind of player to me that the manager needs to stay on top of him. Um, that's not going to happen at Arsenal. <laughs> he's going to be allowed. He's going to be allowed to kind of go out there and express himself. So we wait and see whether he can he can give the team what they need. So the club of are moving into the full on catalyst for change mode, and they're like reinvigorating the backroom team. Um, it looks like the strategy is to give Wenger all the tools that he needs to succeed and then see what happens. Um, do you think a, a new backroom team can make the last 18 months of his contract uh, easier or more successful? Or there's a man who's had that much power for that long. Like, Is there, is there no chance that he's going to change? And, and do you think, are they, have they already had a significant impact? Are they, are they the masterminds behind what happened in the transfer window? Yeah, I mean, I think with Aubameyang and uh, Mkhitaryan, the, the Dortmund connection with, with Mislintat is obviously going to be key. And uh, where Arsenal previously have been a bit indecisive, to say the least, with the transfer dealings, I think they did a good job there. So yeah. um, 
that takes some weight off the shoulders of Arsene Wenger, whether he likes it or not. He probably doesn't like it too much. But um, they are trying to put a, a support a cast around him, which I think can only be good. But ultimately, he's the manager in the dressing room. He's organising the team on the training ground in the week. And uh, that is what he's going to count in terms of how successful Arsenal are going to be. Um, and... Um, you know that will be what determines uh, what they do this this season. You know, I think the club is heading in the right direction with with those people being brought in. It's becoming a more professional outfit, if you like, more of a setup that the other clubs are like, um, where the, the manager doesn't hold quite so much power. But it's going to be very difficult to to relieve Arson of of all his well, not all his power. He's the manager, but he's been used to. You know, uh, holding the whip for so long that um, it, it'd be a gradual process. Um, so it, yeah, it'd be it'd be interesting um, year or so if indeed Arsenal yeah does does see out his contract. So you work uh, you work in the in the media side of the game now. You've got obviously speak to a, a lot of people that are, are close to managers and their various setups. Um, and maybe even speak to managers themselves. Um, what do you believe makes a, a modern manager? What should Arsenal be looking for uh, in, the, in, in the next person to take over the reins? Um, well, big question. But um, I think these days it's having uh, a tactically astute coach who can set up a team to combat any form of op- opposition, really, to to tailor your shape to uh, have the most success against uh, a, a different um, formation or, or attitude. Uh, obviously, Arsene doesn't go about it that way. He, he picks what he feels is his best team and and lets them go out and play. Obviously, other coaches behave in a different way. It's the, it's the modern way. I think it's the only way to go. Um, so, and there are a lot of uh, very good tacticians out there with got to be able to motivate the modern day player and that takes a lot of skill uh, and it's something maybe that the, the general public don't appreciate how, how difficult it can be these days in comparison to, to my time when you had to listen to your manager you know you were desperate for your win bonus and you wanted to win that next contract you're talking about modern day players who they sign a four-year contract and they're not actually playing for the next contract because financially they they don't need it that they, they know they're probably going to get it whether it's at Arsenal or, or somewhere else. But it is hard to, to keep on top of players. And I think that takes quite a psychology, psychological ability, a skill to, to, to get into the, the minds of the modern-day player and, and keep them on the toes. We talked a bit about cycles earlier. And, you know, for some, it's, you know, the, the, the smaller pace you forward and then it's the big target man. And you sometimes see the same with managers where you have a more uh, creative uh, sort of managerial type and then you get much more of a disciplinarian. Uh, do you think Arsenal need to have much more of a disciplinarian approach now just after? Is, is that is that how we're going to get the maximum impact fast, do you think, just after the sort of fairly loose Wenger years now? Yeah, I mean, it will be interesting once when finally it does come to... Uh pointing somebody else which way Arsenal go I mean 
fucking politics, you know, you get a certain type of prime minister and then the, the country elects somebody that's totally different. Um, so whether Arsenal need that or not, I don't know. If you had somebody like Diego Simeone, I think um, the players wouldn't know what had hit them. Uh, somebody of that ilk. Um, but you, you definitely need more discipline, I think, more accountability for those players on the pitch. We've seen it so often. Somebody doesn't track back, switches off. They're in the team the next week. Don't think any partic- anything particularly um, loud or critically said to them in the dressing room. They're allowed to get away with it in the way that they're not allowed elsewhere. So that accountability has got to be brought back into the team, into the dressing room. Are there any names that are exciting you in Europe at the moment that you think should uh, fans should play closer attention to? Yeah, I mean, it's no secret, is it? I mean, Allegri's been doing brilliant at, at Juventus uh, and before that, and uh, Jardim at, at Monaco has, has had a great track record. Um, Simeone, who knows what where he sees his future. I wouldn't imagine he'd come over to England. He just doesn't see that seem that type. But um, Antonio Conte, if he was to leave Chelsea... There'd be plenty wanting his services. Um, and what I always say about Arsenal, it's such an attractive club, uh, given, number one, that it hasn't won the league for so long. So a, a new manager coming in, if you could manage that, he's an instant legend. Um, and also, it's a London club, which is so attractive to, to players coming in. Um, it's got the history. Uh, it, it's a plum job for, for any manager in Europe, really. Um, so many of the managers want to manage in the Premier League now. You can see why. Um, it, you just you don't want to allow the club, the team, to slip down the pecking order. So all of a sudden, people think, "Oh, is there too much work to do there? Too much ground to make up?" That's the danger. But and, and it is as regards recruiting players as well. They want to play in the Champions League, don't they? Um, the ones that only come for money are coming for the wrong reasons. So um, that's the danger. But uh, it should be. It shouldn't be too difficult to attract one of the very best coaches in Europe. And what about? Do you think? Because a lot of people have been talking about ex-players. Arteta uh, recently has been getting a lot of, uh, of noise around him. And you've obviously seen the success of Zidane at Real Madrid. Though it's gone a little bit off the ball for him. Um, do you think where would you would you think that would be a crazy thing for Arsenal to do to go and hire a fresh new uh, manager who hasn't got managerial experience but who's got connections with the club and who's uh, had an apprenticeship or, or or what what would you think of a decision like that? Yeah, I think it'd be a gamble. And Mikel Arteta's just been a coach at City, hasn't he, for for a couple of years, um, and he's a world away from that to being the boss. Um, Patrick Vieira uh, is a different kettle of fish in that he's doing his apprenticeship as a manager and he, he's got that natural stature as well and obviously a, a huge connection uh, with the club and affection from the fans and you know that, that would go down a bomb I think uh, he's serious about his profession he wants to be the best uh, you know, as a manager I think uh, it's just such a shame that he wasn't involved he went off to City instead of Arsenal uh, and yeah, and that's another thing entirely, isn't it? Why why Arsene Wenger wouldn't have somebody like Vieira within his setup? But um, 
Yeah, I, I think it would be asking a lot to employ some. I mean, it can work. Obviously, Pep Guardiola uh, goes against the the rules, but uh, in terms of the, what he did at Barcelona, but um, it would be a gamble to to bring in somebody that hasn't managed to the, into a club the size of Arsenal. And do you think it changes? Uh, you know, you look at the likes of how hard is it? Do you think if you look at the likes of Vieira, if they were coming in and working with? Uh, Arsene Wenger to be the Vieira that we sort of know and expect because I think one of the things as fans is that you see the likes of Jens Lehmann for instance come back and you go oh this is exactly what we need because Jens Lehmann is gonna be you know really up in everyone's face and pushing everyone really hard and then there's almost this sense of how hard is it to have that impact when you're almost on the coaching staff and I think people, you know, people have looked, people when Steve Bold became assistant manager were saying, this is going to dramatically transform our ability defensively. But we never saw that change defensively. Is it hard to have a voice, do you think, once you're inside the club and Arsene, you're, you're team Arsene rather than, rather than an outsider? Well, yeah, you can, you can only do what you're allowed to do on the training ground. And Boldy take stick off some but they don't see what goes on Monday to, to Friday and uh, I just think it's a criminal waste of his talents there's one of the best defenders the club's ever had and not to use his knowledge just seems senseless to me but he, he does bits and pieces I think without really going to town on on getting hold of that back four in the way that George Graham did Arsene is still in charge of, of all the sessions um so I do think it's it's a waste uh, for somebody like him because he he's not given that um, that free hand to to go out and pass on that great knowledge he's got. What does he bring to the? What do you think he brings to the dressing room outside of like defensive knowledge? Like how was he as a teammate? Well, um, there's probably been times where he's had to bite his lip. Uh, as, as a coach now um, because he, he sees people getting away with stuff that they shouldn't be able to um, but as we all know Arsene isn't one to be um, bawling and shouting bollocking people um, Baldy comes from a generation where that just happened without thinking uh, players were brought into line and, 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 and the modern day player is more fragile you, you, you know some of these boys aren't aren't brought up on a on a diet of being shouted at and um, you can't do it uh, so you just have to manage with your head a little bit more than, than your heart um, as frustrating as that can be at times Who out of the players that you've worked with in the past would you like to see back at the club outside the players that are already there? Um, that you think would benefit Arsenal versus they just want to work there sort of thing? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't play with Patrick Vieira. I, th- I think he's probably the standout. Uh, and 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 I would love to have seen Arteta stay there because he was he's another one with that that determination, that that aggression to do well uh, that I think Arsenal could have used. Um, so these sorts of characters, um, I think, would would benefit the club. Uh, but. So, okay, me saying it, it's probably not going to happen, is it? Um, so we shall have to wait and see. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for your time. Um, just a quick prediction for the weekend before you go. 
Uh, oh, let's go for an Arsenal win. 2-1. fantastic Alan you've been incredible Um, thank you for spending so much time with us uh, and we'll look forward to that prediction coming true yeah okay thank you Alan Get right to the romance and find the way to wow this Valentine's with 1-800-Flowers.com. From classic roses and bouquets to decadent chocolate-covered berries, gourmet treats, and more. Surprise your Valentine with 1-800-Flowers.com. Right now, get the 18-stem Enchanted Rose Medley for $39.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses for $10 more. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.